Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. Hello everyone and welcome to another podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher website and hello to everyone joining our live recording. I am joined today by uh, Dr. Sarah Baumeister, Senior Researcher and Senior Data Manager at the University of Oxford and DPUK, and Dr. Danielle Newby, a postdoctoral researcher based at the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Oxford. And today we are going to be talking about the DPUK, Dementia's Platform UK, and the data portal which is a platform that gives dementia researchers access to more than 3 million health records from over 40 cohort studies in a secure, remote, free to access resource. And this data portal is part of a key part of the activities of DPUK, which in itself is a public and private funded uh, partnership with the MRC to speed up progress in dementia research. So researchers from anywhere in the world can design studies or research questions and apply for access to the relevant cohorts. Now, I've taken all that spiel just from um, what you guys sent in. So hopefully we can flesh that, flesh that out a bit and also learn a bit about because you're both using the data portal to answer your own research questions. So we definitely want to hear about that. Um, so what, um, coming on to that, one study led by Sarah is looking into the links between adverse experiences in childhood and later life cognitive outcomes. And another study led by Danielle is looking at the potential repurposing of existing drugs. So ones used for hypertension or diabetes to address cognitive decline. If you'd both like to do a quick round table, introduce yourselves, a bit of your background and how you came to be working at the DPUK. Should we start with you, Sarah? Yes. Hi, everybody. Um, so I've got two hats, basically. Um, I am senior data manager for uh, DPUK. So I'm responsible for uh, reviewing the applications that come through DPUK and also helping to manage uh, basically the data portal and platform. So that's my one hat. And my other hat is that I am also a senior scientist. So I actually do conduct and manage research on the data portal. And as Megan said, I have my own research program investigating early experiences and later life dementia. So I run a project and I have um, analysts working, investigating this using data portal um, cohorts. And we're running that project at the moment. Okay, can I just ask, so you solely use the data from the data portal for your research, you're not doing any, I don't know, focus groups or anything outside of that, it's all data from the data portal? Um, actually, no, we use, um, we actually are using uh, DPUK cohorts, we also use cohorts from outside of DPUK, which we have uploaded onto the platform, which we analyse alongside DPUK um, cohorts. We are also involved in an international project as uh, where we're using my project as a pilot project. And we're also building this, pro uh, this program and we are applying for funding to expand, expand this into a global network of research. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And all the DPUK 
cohort data is UK based data, is it? No, we do have cohorts which are based in, for example, we have um, some Korean and we have also um, American cohorts as well. So it's, it's predominantly UK based, but we do have some international cohorts as well. Some of the cohorts which I brought in for my project um, is based um, in Australia and the United States as well. And when you say you brought them in, they weren't already on DPUK. You've made a collaboration and so now the cohorts are available to everyone. Or you mean you've brought them in just solely for your project? Yes, that's correct. So in other words, I've applied for the data as an external um, applicant. And with their permission, I have uploaded them on the portal. I'm using them for my project. And at the end of my project, I will remove them from DPUK. So they won't become a DPUK project. Uh, cohort, but with permission, I am using the infrastructure of DPUK to analyze them alongside DPUK cohorts. Okay, great. Um, Danielle, should we have a quick intro from you? Yeah, sure. So hi, everyone. Um, my name is Danielle. I'm, a, as Megan's already introduced, I'm a postdoc from Oxford in the Department of Psychiatry. And again, like I've got kind of a really like um, multidisciplinary background. So I've kind of got a bit of machine learning, pharmacology, so from pharmacy, and then with the epidemiology, so looking at data. Um, and I'm really interested in understanding the causes of dementia, so risk factors, and also on the other hand, trying to find, like as Megan said, um, potential treatments to reduce dementia risk and also improve brain health. And, though, and the way that I do that is to use um, real world data or data that's already available, such as those cohorts that are in um, the DPUK platform. Okay, great. Um, so let's move on to sort of discussing, uh, we touched on it a bit, Sarah, but the data portal and uh, how it's a unique research resource for ECRs. Maybe you could talk a bit about that. So um, uh, DPUK is a free to use resource and that is free because uh, the, the data are uploaded onto the platform by our cohort owners. Um, it's never downloaded, it resides in the data repository and researchers, uh, whether they're from industry or academia, can access these data sets from anywhere across the world. So they submit a full project proposal and um, once this proposal has gone through an approval process by, um, by the cohort owners, we then um, uh, facilitate the opening of a data portal account and they gain access to work on these data sets on the data portal. Um, and this, this goes for any bona fide researcher. And all we require is that they, um, if they are perhaps a junior researcher, that they have maybe a supervisor as a co-applicant on their project proposal. And where this is really great for early career researchers is that some of these uh, large cohort data sets are really inaccessible for junior researchers. And um, they, they come together in one place and so if you apply, for example, five cohorts, they are all in one project folder on the data portal. And all the statistical tools for analyzing these cohorts are free to use on the data portal. And that includes, for example, Stata, the license for Stata for a, a researcher with no funding. It's really expensive, but these tools are free to use for early career researchers, well, for anybody really. 
And you said uh, academia or industry, because yeah. you've got partners that are pharma, biotech, and, yeah. and academia. So anyone can use, you yeah. know, bonafide researchers can use it. That's correct. So um, as long as you have, um, you're a bonafide researcher, uh, you, that can be pharma, any industry, or academic, you can access these data sets. Yes. Okay, and you said at the beginning that you're part, you review the application. So what, um, what does that entail? Can you talk us through your review process? So um, the only the, the review. So we at DPUK we do we never own these data sets. The ownership always belongs with the cohort owners, and all we do for DPUK we just provide a service looking for what we call egregious science. So what we want is we want sensible applications to go out to our cohort owners to review. So for example, we will just make sure that these applications are sensible and that they are complete. So we have um, videos, we have user guides on our website for applicants. So they can go and access these user guides and see how to complete a, a proposal um, efficiently and um, properly. And we will just simply review those applicants. And if, if we find there's a section, for example, where the analysis section is not really completed properly, or perhaps that they don't tie in with the proposal, we'll send it back give them advice how to complete that properly. And when we think that is that um, proposal is um, sufficient, we will then send that out to the cohort owners to decide about access to their data set. Okay, and you said you have 40 cohorts, is that right? 42 cohorts, yes. 42 cohorts, yeah. Okay, and you're not, um, you can apply to get data from all 42, should you wish. Should you wish, and your, um, if your research question warrants accessing 42 cohorts, these cohorts have um, heterogeneity across all types of data, and there'll be data, data in one cohort which, which really suits your research question, but there might not be those data types in another cohort. So it will be very rare that you need all 42 cohorts. You never know, though. But you never know. <laughs> um, and I just wondered... Uh, this might be quite a naive question, but you have 3 million participants in 42 cohorts. How many of those have a dementia diagnosis? Now, that's a very difficult question because dementia diagnosis is incredibly complex. And um, these, these uh, cohorts are not necessarily dementia specific. Although we're called Dementia's Platform UK, our cohorts are typically population and birth cohorts that have not collected data for a dementia-specific purpose. They've perhaps collected the data for cardiovascular disease or cancer or even Huntington's disease. And what they've done, they've entrusted us with their, co with their data to repurpose it for dementia research. So off the top of my head, I can't give you an exact number that, that of cohorts which have collected uh, that have collected a measure for dementia. Also, as I said in the beginning, it is very difficult to say, well, this is a measure for dementia. Perhaps there is a clinical assessment. Perhaps there is a me measure that says, have you been diagnosed with dementia? Tick, yes, no. So it's very difficult for me to say, this number have actually got a dementia diagnosis. I guess the key bit that you said there is it's repurposing data that's already been collected and is being 
offered up open access in a way for other people to ask a research question of. Exactly. It's a bit like um, Danielle's uh, research that she's doing, repurposing. And I think she's uh, very experienced to say how she's repurposing her research for another purpose. Yeah, actually, Danielle, maybe we could come on to you and talk to you a bit about your projects and how you're using DPUK. Yeah, sure. What do you want to know? <laughs> Everything. How many cohorts are you using? 42. Uh, no, God, no, I'm not using 42. Um, well, like Sarah says, like the, the most important thing is trying to find out the cohorts you actually want to need that can actually answer your research question. And the good thing about like the DPUK like website and the portal is that they've got this kind of matrix where you can find like you can basically um, it's like phenotyping the cohort. So you can see, does it have a dementia diagnosis? Does it have blood pressure? Because obviously I'm looking at cardiovascular disease. Blood pressure is a really important measure that I need. So I'm able to kind of grab the cohorts that I need that are specific to my question. So um, my question is related to cardiovascular metabolic. So I identified five. And then also additionally to that, I'm using um, UK Biobank. But that, like Sarah said, the really good thing about that is obviously I'm analysing my data of those five cohorts in the DPUK platform. And I can also upload my um, UK Biobank data and analyse it alongside it. So it has that kind of added benefit of I've got my code in one place in a secure platform. I've got my unidentified data and I can streamline everything because I haven't got codes in different places, data in different places. So it offers that real kind of um, streamlining and making my um, research a lot more kind of smoother um, in that sense. So. so does UK Biobank not do that the other way as well? If you'd gone to them first, say, do you see what I mean? You've got their cohort data and then you could pull in DPUKs. Or are you saying that basically DPUK acts as a, a central place where you can put all, pull all your re resources and then you've got access, like you said, Sarah, to free um, statistical analysis software and whatever? Yeah, I think so. as long as you've got the permission of that, you've always got to have the permission of the, of the cohort to do that. You know, if you haven't, then obviously you can't. But um, yeah, yeah. Okay. But and so you're looking at um, repurposing drugs within cardiovascular disease, is that right? But also yeah, looking or, at decline? Yeah, so basically what I'm, if you think about like the main risk, there's, load, there's 12 risk factors for dementia that's come from the Lancet um, Commission run by and um, led by Jill Livingston, that there are certain things that can increase your um, risk of dementia in later life. And I, if you think about that, those things increased your risk so there's the hypothesis that maybe the drugs used to treat those risk factors could reduce dementia risk and slow cognitive decline so that's the question that i'm asking it's not necessarily in the dpuk um, project that i'm working on i'm looking at cardiovascular and also anti-diabetic so diabetes as well but it's basically a lot of other drugs could be as well but a lot of people um do you have high blood pressure in midlife? So it's, there's going to be, I've got to think about it from a point of view that there's going to be more people that are potentially taking those medications. So I can, I'll have the, the samples in order to answer my question. Um, so that's why I've specifically um, focused on cardiovascular, but there are other um, potential ones that we can like repurpose. And I kind of like look at any really, but that's the one that I'm interested in at this moment in time. Okay. And to sort of 
you sort of touched on the matrix system and so you can go through and look at the cohorts that would be most specific for your project or most useful for your project but what's other what data can people access i know that it, i was looking at the website and it says you've got networks with imaging stem cells informatics what other kind of data have you got maybe sarah so um we have on, on the data portal, we have a suite of what we call data visualization tools. And as um, Danielle said, we have the cohort matrix and that matrix breaks down all our data into 22 categories of data. So each cohort, uh, what we do is when the cohort comes in, uh, we categorize their data across these 22 categories of data. Um, so for a cohort such as Biobank, they will have um, data within all 22 of those categories. And that can be everything from sociodemographics to omics to genetic uh, to uh, imaging to um, you've got your biomedical data, you've got your mental health data, you've got your lifestyle, your environmental data, your uh, digital phenotyping data. Um, so incredibly vast, in incredibly um, diverse and rich. And uh, then you have your smaller cohorts, which, as I said in the beginning, have been collected for a very specific purpose. So say cardiovascular disease, across those 22 categories, they might only maybe have data across 10 or 11 of those categories because it's been very focused on cardiovascular disease, sociodemographics and administrative. Um, so it really does depend on what the cohorts set out to do in the beginning. Um, and that's why when you said, oh, about the research question, would they apply for all 42 uh, cohorts? It would, um, it, would be, it would really depend on the research question. Um, and that's where the matrix comes in. It gives everyone a broad overview thinking, oh, I need mental health. Let me have a quick look who has mental health? And it's simply a tick next to mental health. And then we go on to the cohort directory and on the cohort directory, not only can they see these cohorts have mental health, for example, but they can click into the cohort, find out all about the cohort, when the data were collected, how many waves of data, or uh, a website, supporting material, but they can also see across each of the waves, for example, let's take mental health, for example, depression, and what type of scale was used to collect that, collect depression. So if we have a cohort with 12 longitudinal waves of data, they can see that depression was collected using the GHQ scale in waves five, six, and seven. And for a statistical modeler, who is using latent growth curve modeling, that's really important because they need to know it's been collected in three waves of data. So our, our tools are an a very important part of applying for data so that by the time an applicant submits their application through the system, they have a very clear idea that I need these six cohorts because I know these six cohorts have the data I want to apply for. That's why I say it would be very rare to get someone applying for 42 cohorts, because then I think we have failed in our tools. 
Okay, fine. Let's let's drop the forty-two kind. <laughs> you can see this is a this is a sore point if someone <laughs> applied for forty-two. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to do that then. Okay, Sarah, um, I think I might. Sarah, I think I might just do an application. I want all forty-two. <laughs> I've rejected it live. <laughs> um. So something on the front page of the DPUK website is about detecting and treating earlier and how this uh, your data, the data portal can really help uh, start to treat earlier. So because Danielle, you're doing cardiovascular cognitive decline, but you are looking earlier in the treatment pathway. Is that is that right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So because we've got all of that information from all of the waves, we can see all, all of over time, we can see from a person who, for example, started the study and wasn't didn't have a diagnosis of dementia or look at their cognition at baseline, we call it, and then look at over time and see, obviously, like, as you get older, your, cogn your cognition does decline very slowly. But then we can compare those who potentially have high potential or don't have high potential and see how their decline differs. And then we can look at of those people who have got hypertension are they taking drugs what sort of drugs are they taking and does that actually influence um how um you know how fast or slow their decline is so yeah you can look back you've almost like got a kind of like you know their whole span of the time they've been in that study and you can like you say look earlier because you can see how they've progressed through the times of the mm -hmm. study yeah so uh, quite a lot of the cohort studies longitudinal studies over many years, is that right? Are they still being added to with new data? Uh, well, I, I, from my experience, some of them, yes, but Sarah will probably have more experience of um, the ones in DPUK portal. The ones that I know that I'm using in DPUK, I know that they're still they're adding additional waves. Right. Yeah. Um, but Sarah, <laughs> over to you. <laughs> Yes, that's, that's true. Um, as Danielle said, some of our cohorts are still actively collecting, such as um, ELSA. Um, they've recently, um, the English Longitudinal Study of Aging, that's um, a, a lovely study. They've just added a ninth wave, um, including COVID data. Um, so they are a real champion for uh, DPUK. Um, so um, they are uh, actively collecting data um, approximately I stand to be corrected every 12 18 months um, so um, they are but then we do have some of our historical cohorts who finished collecting but nonetheless are incredibly valuable um, and they are still um, highly prized as a valuable such as the Kefili study um, so yes so which one's that sorry the Kefili study which was um, um, has finished collecting data, but we still get a lot of requests for that study, which was an original cardiovascular um, study. So um, a, a very rich cohort uh, and valuable data. Yeah, so I use that one for one of, for this study that because it's even though it's like a smaller subset and it's in men, it's got so many kind of they've really asked lots of you know questions. They've been heavily phenotyped, so they've got a richness of data that is like it's going to be really important to help support. Um, the analysis of my other cohorts because it's got that like wealth of data within it. Okay. Did you say it's mainly men? That was that was just the the study was set up that way. Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> um, so Adam, I wonder if we've had any questions 
from our audience. Uh, we do have a question um, from the Zoom recording. Uh, Mustafa Atti asks, uh, does the data set have dementia subtypes, medical comorbidities and medications profiles? Sarah? Um, I can say uh, yes to uh, medications and uh, medical comorbidities. A lot of our larger cohorts do have that. Um, off the top of my head, for example, um, ELSA, our Whitehall, our NSHD studies, those larger cohorts do have those, that, those type of information. Um, as for dementia subtypes, um, again, when I mentioned about uh, the difficulty with dementia diagnosis in our cohorts, um, the subtypes are also quite difficult to obtain. However, with some of our cohorts, there is, um, there is uh, linkage, um, and this is where you would be able to um, acquire this additional information. And those would be, for example, with UK Biobank. A question from me uh, is, could researchers contribute their own data to the uh, DPUK platform if they wanted to? If you'd collected a large amount of information as part of a particular trial or as part of a PhD, could that data with the right consent be offered up to DPUK to add to the, to the pool of data, if you like? Absolutely. We would absolutely love that. I think that this is what we're all about. We are a data sharing uh, platform and we would, um, I would very much welcome any discussions and please do contact me if you have a data set that you would like to share with others and um, I would welcome that discussion. Yes. So this is uh, another question from Adam Smith. Um, can you see things like scans? Can you see the actual image or do you just gain access to the report, the scan reports? Um, are you talking about um, MRIs? Um, yes, uh, MRIs or PET scans or things. Imaging? It depends. It depends what you would like. So if you are an analyst such as myself, I am not um, an image, imaging, raw imaging analyst. I would like the IDPs which is an image-derived phenotype. So I would like someone to do all the processing for me and just give me the numbers to put into my structural equation model. I'm quite happy with that. But my imaging analyst, she would like the raw data uploaded from XNAT and she wants to peer over the images in a Linux machine. So it is entirely up to you what type of analyst you are and where your skills lie and what, what cohort you apply to that have those raw image data. Yes. Fantastic. We have a question on uh, YouTube, which asks about the, the, the costs or charges for using this. I don't know if that was addressed earlier. So the costs for using the data portal are absolutely free. The only cohorts which incur a charge are UK Biobank and their costs are available on their website. Whitehall incur a, a charge as well, and their charges are on their uh, website as well. Our other um, cohorts are free, and um, it is a free-to-use resource. Correction that the ALSPAC cohort, they also have a charge, and their charges are also on their website, but only those three cohorts who charge at source. Thank you. Um, I also, this question may have been asked earlier, but 
Am I right in assuming that this can be used by anybody across the world with the with the right granted access? Yes, yes, that that is correct. So anyone um, anywhere in the world can apply for a data portal account. All you need is an academic or industry email address and be a bona fide researcher. I actually had a question. So once I've used the data, how does it work uh, if I publish? So I obviously acknowledge where I've got the data from. Is it a collaboration? So I'd also, you'd also be on my paper. Do you see what I mean? How do I acknowledge the use of the data? We have a publication policy, which is available to download from our website. All that we require is that the cohorts you use are acknowledged in, our, um, in your research. And um, usually if you read in the publication policy, um, uh, selected cohorts would like to see what you are publishing before you actually publish it. Yes. Yeah, but DPUK itself doesn't because they're just sort of hosting all the cohorts. We are hosting and we just want to be acknowledged and our funders, MRC fund us and there will be an acknowledgement that you acknowledge in the acknowledgements of your publication and also any presentations that you make as an output of your, um, of your analyses, yes. Mm -hmm. Do you think that is that the same if you're doing a presentation, you need to run it by the cohort you've used if they specified that, do you think? Um, I think usually for a presentation such as a poster or an oral, I think we're fine there. But for a journal publication, usually you'd run that past um, the cohort owners. Yeah. So, Sarah, I think the DPUK has been refunded. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Um, MRC have funded us uh, for another five years. Uh, we're incredibly thankful to the MRC for um, refunding us again. And um, we're really excited about the future as we move into the new phase of DPUK, where we're going to um, in, um, increasingly um, carry on developing the data portal. Some of the tools that I mentioned in our um, initial interview now, uh, we want to develop them so that they're world class. Um, they do the job at the moment, um, but we would like them to do the job brilliantly. Uh, we want to be able to develop uh, feasibility tools so that analysts can come along and compare cohorts next to each other so that they can select a group of participants that have blood pressure and smoking and alcohol, and they can select cohorts. So we want to develop those tools into world-class tools. That's part of DPUK2 and um, the development program. We also are developing our data curation. So we are curating our cohorts so that we are standardizing the naming structure across our cohorts. So for example, uh, slices of bread with butter, we want to make sure that that is named the same across all our cohorts so that a researcher can analyze that and compare and contrast across each cohort. That data curation is time consuming and um, that will move into DPUK2 so that we can develop that program of work. Also our experimental medicine program that is moving, um, that is DPUK2, that will be launched um, moving forward. And of course, our Great Minds um, trial delivery uh, framework and um, uh, uh, clinical studies register, that is all to be launched for DPUK2. So very exciting moving into the renewal and we're really hopeful that um, 
great things are going to happen for dementia's research. Yes. Well, sounds great. So Danielle, how helpful will that be for your work? That would be really, really helpful. Um, you know, for especially when Sarah was saying all this, I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. I can't wait for this to come out. Like, when's it going to come out? Um, yeah, it'll be so useful because like the main thing, the analysis part is the quickest part of doing your work. The longest part is like, you know, cleaning the data. That takes ages. And if they've already done it and all, you know, they've already done, they've done parts of it and standardized everything. That's like... Oh, that saves me like six months. <laughs> um, so that's really, really good. That's really exciting. Um, and yeah, it's no, it's it's really, really helpful. Um, you know, we, as an early careers researcher, we're kind of on multiple projects, um, trying to fingers in many pies, all this sort of thing, and trying to get to that next level. So by having all of the support that DPUK provides, that is helping me get to my next stage. And also just to shout out, like, Mark Newbury and the team, the technical support team over in Swansea, who, you know, they make like they help all of the technical side of it, like support um, that, you know, it wouldn't be possible without them helping out and, you know, putting up with my questions. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what's this mean? Um, you know, um, just to say, like, there's a lot of things underneath the hood that are kind of there are a lot of people under the hood that are helping with DPUK. That's great. So we're kind of coming to the end of today so should we do our call to action Sarah what are the take-homes for all the ECRs listening and and uh, maybe also just throw in your Twitter handles for everyone okay so I really just want to encourage ECRs to really utilize this resource um, the DPUK data portal is really um, just waiting to be accessed and the data are there it's free to use it's free to access and now during lockdown and when um, you have time on your hands, um, the tools are there for free. Um, we're very friendly, we're very accessible here at DPUK. Please do drop me an email. I'm on Twitter, S underscore Bauermeister. Um, I'm always posting um, feeds and information on Twitter. We have a Datathon series where you can actually come along and access the data portal um, over a workshop period, uh, we've taken it from face to face, we've taken it onto a virtual COVID uh, style um, where you can do it from home and you can have a chance to see what the data portal is all about. So, um, you know, submit a proposal, try out the data portal at a data um, at a datathon. We really do welcome you. It's an opportunity to get your foot on the research ladder. Okay, great. Thank you. And we'll put um, links to the Datathon and the website and stuff and also all your uh, Twitter and contact details. Bye. 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 Brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.